podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, just to let you know, and those who follow me on Twitter will know this already, uh, that I won't be on the pod this week because I ultimately answered the question behind this entire podcast, who got the assist, with the answer I did. Yeah, what I mean by that is that my partner gave birth to our daughter on Sunday, so we had niece of the bunny baby, and obviously more important things for once are... Uh, stopping me from doing the pod this week and um, i'll hope to be back next week and um, as you can hear i haven't got my equipment i'm in, in the room uh, with my daughter now but yes uh, mum and baby are doing very well and uh, in the meantime sit back relax and enjoy this week's pod with nick and sam and i'll be back very very soon thanks for all the well wishes on twitter by the way it's really massively appreciated oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist Good afternoon. So I'm back and stepping back into the fray in Tom's absence, who's uh, got some amazing personal news as well that he shared on Twitter that he's had a, a baby daughter. So massive congratulations to him and his partner. It's been a long while, actually, since I'm on the pod, and it's been an ever-revolving uh, panel of co-hosts recently. It's sort of become like the Great British Fake Off. Um, I'm joined, actually, by the first time with um, Sam at FPL Pricey. Good to speak to you, Sam. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Nick. Um, I, I've had the honour of talking to Tom and Lucy over the last few weeks and months on the pod. So it's great to sort of complete the set. And I finally got to speak to you in person as well. So yeah, real pleasure to meet you um, and also to step in in Tom's absence again. So massive congratulations to Tom and his partner, as you mentioned. And yeah, looking forward to cracking on with the show and talking about a really uh, important annual subject of ours. Um, as always, we are Who Got the Assist. Uh, you can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL. You can find myself, Sam, at FPL Pricey. And you can find Nick at WGTA underscore Nick, as well as Lucy Hynett at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. On the pod today, we're recording at the end of a frantic and exciting game week 30. So can start with a mini league update and then the market forces, along with updates on how we're both personally getting on and how our game weeks went. The main theme this week will be on risk profiles with a risk with a conversation as to how many hits we've taken and what that says about us as FPL managers and also as people in general. We've also gathered a wide range of opinions and case studies from Twitter on that as well. So really interested to hear what all of you've been saying on Twitter around this subject. And then as always, we'll end with a quick Q&A section at the end of the show. So watch out for that as well. Super stuff. Brilliant. Thanks, Sam. Um, so let's crack on then and start with the mini league update. Um, so yeah, recording at the end of this uh this game so we can actually give a proper update which is fantastic to do uh but it's always a bit of a challenge jumping in and uh trying to say all the names so uh, we should be done <laughs> with that one um but yeah top top of the league is um mark bleakley he holds onto the league with a nice 67 pointer there uh up to sort of 2121 points in total uh, very impressive as well. Uh, but he's got someone on his tail, though, and that's Ara Mendriata, who got 69 points, so gains two points this week, just 11 points behind 2,110. In third, it's Sack of Potatoes, Alex Terry, uh, just 57 points for him. And then in fourth, it's the Eternal Flame, Josiah Vezzarian. Um, don't know if I said that right at all. <laughs> Some he's uh, 56 points for him. 
And then in fifth, it's uh, Nats Chapman with Yogurt, 64 points. In sixth, it's at Elevenify, uh, 61 points. And then in seventh, it's Zeeshan Bimani with 69 points. Eighth is Aaron Butler, 55 points. Uh, ninth is Victor Sundell dropping down a place there, 58 points. And tenth, uh, rounding up the top 10, is Christopher Bateman, 52 points. So well done to all the guys there in the top 10. Very close between them all as well. Only about 42 points between 10th and 1st there and all having amazing seasons, making me very, very jealous. <laughs> cool. So, um, well done, guys. As I said, um, we'll crack on next with the uh, the market forces, uh, one of my favourite sections of all times. Always good to come back and do a, a cheeky market forces update. And uh, yeah, so this uh, this game week actually is an interesting one. Um, all about the Manchester City assets. So I think a lot of people did sell a few of the guys, Haaland, um, kind of a lot of big discussions as to whether to get him in ahead of Southampton. Um, most people ultimately did get him in because of all the kind of pepping around. It, it did seem clear he was going to play, he was fit. And yeah, subsequently he started, got that brace. Um, if he stayed on the pitch, he might have even had a hat-trick because there was a penalty. But um, nice, uh, nice uh, you know, gaming for Haaland and anyone who brought him in. But unfortunately, uh, some people clearly didn't bring him in because 130,000 additional transfers in have taken place for him. So people who missed out on that brace against Southampton clearly trying to jump back on that Haaland wagon. But he's actually, um, he's not the most transferred in player because that's, that award goes to his teammate, Jack Grealish, who's had 210,000 transfers in, being heavily bought. Um, and yeah, he's, he's on one of his best runs of form um, since joining Manchester City, really. He's starting to get the goals and the assists. So he picked up a nice goal and an assist against Southampton and also did the same against Liverpool um, just in game week 29. And he, yeah, he's been picking up the odd return here and there. Definitely seems to be nailed on in terms of that Manchester City starting lineup as well. And and I think at his price points, and you know, I think can understand why a lot of people bringing him in make makes sense actually uh, in terms of a transfer. I feel like just the other week I looked at him and he was down at like six point six, six point seven. So he must be rising very very quickly at the moment, and it's clear yeah. to see why as well. Um, he is in sensational form at the moment, and I'm sure a lot of people will be very interested in bringing bringing him in over the next few weeks. He looks like he's on top form. I can understand why he's top of that market forces right now. And uh, mm -hmm. also kind of makes sense that so many people bringing him in when it's um, Marcus Rashford, who's on the other side of the market forces being heavily sold. Unfortunately, he does have an injury at the moment. Um, and it looks like he could be ruled out for a little while. So kind of straight swap there kind of makes a lot of sense, I guess, um, with 238,000 managers transferring him out and... Um, and yeah, I think uh, Shaw and Saliba, the other ones being heavily transferred out also both with, with Knox. So Shaw's got a hamstring injury, 223,000 transfers out for him and 100,000 transfers out for Saliba. Interestingly enough, it, I was a bit surprised to see this Tyrone Means being bought heavily. He's the most transferred in defender fourth on the market forces. Don't tend to see his name prop up um, <laughs> too much. So 70,000 transfers in for him. And he's, um, he's just got uh, Ben White actually just behind him in terms of the transfers. So Ben White's on his tail. And I can't understand why Ben White's being bought. You know, Arsenal's event has been pretty solid all season. Um, kind of makes sense to kind of back them. But the, the Mings one was a bit of a surprise to me, actually. And I, I kind of had a quick look. I said, why is people, so many people bringing in Mings? But I guess um, they've been pretty solid defensively. 10 clean sheets, Aston Villa, um, this season. Picked up another one against Nottingham Forest. Um, and yeah, about five, five and seven, actually, um, in terms of the clean sheets. So... 
not not the most exciting pick um, to ever bring into FPL teams, but I guess um, a, a solid choice if you're you're selling someone like Shaw or Saliba. Um, yeah, I think it's very much a case of who else do you go to at the moment? And with City defenders not proving too reliable, Stones obviously got taken off on the 59th minute um, this week as well. So a lot of people will be put off of bringing him in ahead of game week 34. Ming seems like the one who's doing the points at the moment. So 4.5, I think he is at the moment. He's a pretty easy buy. And if you're put off the likes of Shaw, Saliba, or maybe even Chilwell at this point, it seems like a quite nice downgrade to free up some budget for weeks ahead. Although I kind of do get the feeling five clean sheets and seven probably isn't that sustainable for a team like Villa. Maybe it carries on, but um, I I personally want to want to have a lot more confidence of the weeks ahead and and see that fixture run and and feel that the clean sheets are going to continue before I brought in someone like Mings. But he's he's doing well at the moment and Villa are looking solid at the back, so maybe it does continue. Yeah, I mean, I don't really recommend. I don't think I could go as far as recommending things. I mean, I no. looked at Aston Villa's fixtures. They've had some good fixtures. They've got a tougher run now as well. Newcastle, Brentford, Fulham, United, Wolves, Spurs, Liverpool, Brighton. Looking at yeah. that run for the end of the season, I mean, they might pick up a couple of clean sheets maybe if they're lucky against Wolves or Brentford or Fulham. But the rest of them, they're, they're going to struggle, I think. But they've, you know, they've been performing extremely well under Unai Emery since he joined the club. They're sort of right at the top of the, sort of the form tables. Um, so he's he's done really well since um, taking over from Steve Gerrard. So I think um, I can understand why people are looking at better players, but I, I think there are better options out there in, in defence, and you, you kind of want to be looking at the teams that have the doubles as well. Mm. Uh, but um, so so yeah, to, to kind of round up the market forces. Uh, also being brought in heavily as um, Martinelli. He had an excellent game um, last week against Liverpool uh, with the goal and the assist and 130,000 transfers in for him. Um, obviously, people selling Rashford there, but also people selling um, James Madison, who unfortunately in my team has been absolutely terrible. Has done done nothing since I got him in, essentially. Really disappointed double game week and disappointing mm. game against um, Bournemouth as well. So 75,000 people decides to get rid and and kind of make sense with City up next as well. Yeah, I I think anyone who brought in Madison can feel extremely unfortunate. There was everything to suggest that he would be a great pick for the last few weeks. I think a lot of people brought him in on wildcard 26 or 27 as well. Um, And I I don't think you yourself have wildcarded yet, have you? Um, But I know a lot of people would have brought him in the last few weeks and have had some really miserable luck with him recently. So unfortunately, I think it is probably the right time to sell if you're not too as worried about the likes of Rashford or Shaw and feel like you could probably move uh, Madison out first. Yeah, exactly. And I think Madison would have been high on my sell list. Unfortunately, I've got the issue of Marcus Rashford also to deal with. Mm. So I think I think just because Madison isn't injured, he might get a reprieve for me. But I think, um, yeah, he, he would have definitely been uh, one of the first names out of the team otherwise, considering he's, he's done nothing, just been mm. a disappointment. Who knows? You might get lucky with Leicester against Man City. I, I feel like I remember them scoring five against them the other season. So yeah. you never know. Something crazy could happen. Yeah, they are a bit of a bogey team, actually. I think it's always sort of these Jamie Vardy type performances back in the day. I don't think Vardy can no. replicate that anymore, unfortunately. No. But uh, yeah, there's been many a time where Vardy's kind of 
you know, counter-attacked to success against Manchester City and got some big returns, but uh, yeah, I'm not, not, I can't, not so I can't confident. See it. I can't <laughs> see it with this with this current Leicester setup. They're yeah, they're pretty terrible right now, aren't they? Unfortunately, yeah. Um, so yeah, not. I, I think it's going to be an easy win for City that one, but we shall see. Um, maybe Madison will get a a late a last minute consolation to knock out that City clean sheet as always. So. <laughs> that wouldn't be the most surprising thing, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hope we can only hope. Cool, cool. Um, we'll move on to the um, the game week update. Um, so, do you want to perhaps start, Sam, in terms of how, yeah, how uh, absolutely. the game went and, and your season as well? How, how's your season going? Yeah, so uh, it was quite a frustrating season until the last couple of game weeks. Um, I was hovering around the 200, so uh, like between 100 and 200k pretty much since game week seven or eight. And then since the World Cup, it was very stop stop start as well. Um, the bench just was a big success. So very happy with how that went. And that catapulted me up into, I think it was 80K last week. Um, however, I did find myself in the slightly unfortunate position that I'd sold Erdegaard instead of Saka, which knowingly locked me out of getting Harlem back for Tony. So I had the tricky decision of whether or not to sell Kane for Haaland last last week coming into this one. Luckily, I did do it because it it gave me a net gain and I wouldn't have captained Kane against um against Brighton anyway. But it does mean I'm now without Harry Kane, who is in sensational form and up against Bournemouth at home this week. So I finished on 54 points. It was a smallish red arrow, although my game week rank was around 6.5 million. The red arrow was relatively small. I only went down to about 90k. Um, so I think it was quite a tightly packed crowd this week and everyone finished relatively similar. So yeah, this week I'm mainly just concerned about not having Kane, but generally I'm not too worried about how my game week went, although it probably wasn't the best week ever. How about you? Yeah, I actually had a um a rare good week for me, so that was nice. It's been a it's been a really poor season overall. Um, I'm sitting around 580k at the moment, so pretty disappointed with everything that's gone on this season. I've, I've taken a few gambles, a few risks here and there. I think one of the most painful ones actually was was the week where everyone captained the Brighton player. I actually had Mo Salah, and I decided to captain him, and he got me a. A zero pointer because he missed a penalty that week, and uh, meanwhile everyone yeah. was celebrating their McAllister and their Matoma returns, and oh, that that was really bad. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I used a chip finally actually the other week as well when everyone bench boosted. I free hit it and um, I got 106 points from it, but it still wasn't enough for a green arrow somehow. So uh, yeah, um, changed. I think I did a last minute change from uh, Watkins to Darwin, which uh, was big mistake on the free <laughs> so well, definitely one to regret there but trying not to think about the past something about the present and the future and then yeah this game week was good so 72 points all, all out um got uh 13 points from martinelli that was the kind of the big return for me i've had him actually since game week one never sold him just held on to this fellow and he, he's um He's actually turned into a very nice differential at one point. I mean, you know, mm. sort of ninety-seven percent effective ownership. You think you get zero from this guy, regardless of what he does. But when now sort of about twenty-six percent or something, I think it was. So yeah, really, actually start to see the, the net gains from from those kinds of returns. So that, that kind of that was kind of the big differential. And then I had kind of the other guys that all kind of returned, but 
for most people. So I had Kane as well. He got me the nine points and Watkins, seven. Um, Harland's um, captain, obviously, was the 24 points. And um, I've kind of got this defence at the moment of just all English right backs. It's kind of sort of <laughs> parking back to the, the big at the back. So James and Trippier both got me two points, but uh, Trent kind of got that last minute assist, mm. which um, also picked him up two bonus. So he went from zero to five. In, in the kind of the last minutes or whatever it was um, against uh, Arsenal, which is pretty nice. Uh, pretty Do you nice know what his effective return. ownership was this week? Oh, it was tiny. Yeah. Yeah, it must I, have been. It was like, I think it might have been less than 1%. It, it showed wow. like a little, little, like a roll of the dice, um, <laughs> as, you know, as opposed to a star on, on live FPL. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just on it now. So it says 1%. Um, yeah, 1%, I think it was. And then, that is incredible. Can you imagine a world where we'd have seen Trent at 1% this time last year? It's just absolutely balmy. I don't know where that's come from. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy people like me that seem to be hanging on to like <laughs> these, these yesteryears of owning Trent all through the season. It's probably what I've done so poorly is I could just live in the past and been able to keep up with, with the present uh, this year, I don't think. But yeah. Um, yeah, well, nice, he's, he's nice. going to be a great differential coming for the next week, a few weeks ahead, I think, with game week 34 on the horizon. Yeah, definitely. I think we'll, we'll see yeah, if people start to jump on him or, or Mo Salah. I think we're going to talk mm. a little bit about Liverpool um, later on anyway in, in the, the Q&A. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my game week anyway. As I said, it's not been the best of seasons so far for me, but live and learn yeah hopefully i'm just kind of looking forward to next year really kind of putting an end to this season but you know a few more chips in my bank still i've got the bench boost to use i've still actually got my triple captain to use as well so, so you can uh, have some fun with that yeah that will do yeah, well for you yeah i've kind of hung on to it a bit too long i think but there might be another 37 double game week maybe where i could use it Maybe Haaland against Chelsea and Brighton to clean up at the end of season. We we shall see. We shall see. Mm. That'll be interesting. Good stuff. Cool. So, um, as alluded to at the start of the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about risk profiles. So, this is something we've done on an annual basis. Long-term listeners of the pod will be kind of very familiar. This it's something we like to try and revisit every year. Just kind of have a little bit of a discussion. Um, in terms of like how many hits you've taken and kind of where that kind of stands to you in terms of your risk profile, kind of link it in a little bit with sort of financial markets and things like that, the financial sector, just to kind of throw in a bit of like real life examples, I guess, to the fray. But we we put up a little uh, a pod, um, pod, we put up um, a Twitter post anyway uh, earlier or yesterday just to kind of give kind of, you know, ask the crowd how many hits they've taken in the season and just kind of, also a little bit of feedback as well, a bit of social interaction is always fun. And yeah, so, some interesting answers actually. So it's, it's actually very interesting to compare it as well to, to last year. So um, in terms of this year, we've had 500 people kind of sort of vote, but 8.7% said they'd had no hits. 34.3% said one to four hits. Five to um, 31.3% said five to eight hits. And twenty five point seven percent said nine plus hits, so so relatively low actually compared to other years. And it mm. actually shows like when we did this last year, we did it earlier as well. So we did it like end of February, 
but like the amount of hits was so much higher. So it was 24.9% for 0 to 6 hits. 7 to 12 hits was the most with 37.1%. 13 to 18 hits. 0.6% and more than 18 hits 20.4% that's, that's crazy that's absolutely crazy numbers and yeah I was, I was wondering what your thoughts were on this like in terms of why do you think um, we're seeing fewer hits this season compared to sort of previous years yeah well it blew me away when I looked back at that poll from last year and it it took me a while to jog my memory as to how crazy last year was in FPL and when you look at all of the postponements we had around Christmas and then the double game weeks and the blanks that followed those weeks as well it it kind of reminded me why last year we all went completely hit crazy anyone who was able to take under six hits all season in that uh, I think it was nearly a quarter of the crowd were, were able to resist last year props to them I don't know how they navigated through all of that without any any real hits but I was probably more likely in, up in the 13 plus crowd um, but then you compare last season to this season, and I think this season has had its quirks and a few different weird things that have been thrown in. Obviously, the Winter World Cup and the Queen's passing as well um, made it slightly more complex for the schedule. But generally speaking, there haven't been as many postponements. The double game weeks have been mapped out a little bit further in advance as well. And any postponements also were either across the board or mapped out a little bit further in advance, which made planning ever so slightly easier than usual, or at least slightly easier than last year anyway. And I think it's been a little bit more of your normal season in terms of the hits that you would take. And I think if you'd put this poll up, around Christmas time, the average amount of hits might have been around zero to two. Whereas now, because we're post-Christmas and we're in that double game week season, we're starting to see a few more flying around. And a lot of people do believe in taking hits around those double game weeks. So now that we're in the midst of that season and we've just had a patch of quite a few double game weeks over the last few weeks, I think those hit numbers have climbed but nowhere near the the extent of last year. And yeah, if if you get a moment, have a look back at last year and have a look back at the schedule, anyone who's listening and remind yourself just how mad it was because it was really quite tough to navigate. Whereas this season, a whopping 8.7%, not even taking a hit just feels incredible. I don't know how anyone's managed to do that with doubles and blanks still around, but massive well done for planning ahead if you're part of that crowd. But yeah, I, d I don't know what you feel about it, but it feels a little bit more of a standard season. And obviously the Winter World Cup with the extra wild card we all got given, I guess, helped us sort out a few issues there as well. Yeah, I was going to say that. It, it doesn't feel like it's been a normal season. It's still been a very odd season, but with the Winter World Cup thrown mm. in, the Queen's passing, all these kind of unparalleled events that have kind of never happened before. We still kind of feel like we're a little bit in, in crazy town. But I think, you know, compared to the year before where we had constant COVID suspensions and, and the year before that as well, like, I can't remember, just it's been such a long time since we've just had a normal Premier League season where things have just gone normal. I mean, it, it pays the bills for like Sir Dan Krellin and he's got his master <laughs> spreadsheets and uh, has all these different machinations. But, but you know, for us FPL managers, it has been a little bit of a minefield, but... I think, yeah, you are right in terms of this season. Perhaps it 
I, I didn't feel like it had, but perhaps it has been a little bit calmer. Everything's kind of been a bit more scheduled. Everything's kind of a bit more structured. Um, we've also had that additional wild card or unlimited transfers, whatever it was, uh, that kind of helped a lot, I think, over the winter period uh, to kind of get people to kind of rebuild their teams if they needed to. And, and yeah, people have kind of had their chip strategy perhaps a little bit more defined and a bit more clearer than other years where people were kind of free hitting and wild carding all over the place to a certain degree. And and also I think this year um, it's a bit different in terms of like the teams and, and the price structure. So I think um, last season it was really hard to get everyone you needed within your team because there were so many premiums doing really well. We had, you had Son and Kane at Spurs, which were very, very expensive, both doing excellently well. We had Trent and Salah at Liverpool um, and Mane as well, actually, even. Um, and then you had the City guys, Kevin De Bruyne and and others all also kind of knocking on the door, trying to get them into your teams. And you're trying, trying to fit them all in was a real struggle last year. And I think this year, it just the best players have just been a lot cheaper. So it's been, you know, there's been Haaland, who's been a set and forget. But like the Liverpool assets have never really made a case for being in our team this year. So we haven't needed to worry about how much they cost and, and fitting them in. Um, you know, you've had Kane as well, but you've had these kind of steady eddy players. They're actually very, very affordable. Like some Rashford was dirt cheap starting the season 6.5 and he, he's kind of been a set set and forget all season. And you've had Saka as well. He was only 8 million, very, very cheap at the start of the season. Martinelli was only 6 million. And even like some of these other people who've kind of merged, you know, Odegaard or... Almiron earlier on in the season, Mitoma later on in the season, very, very cheap, you know, have, haven't needed to kind of pull apart teams to get these guys in. So I think um kind of makes sense, I guess, that people aren't taking hits. You know, if, if you started off well, you got those guys in at the start of the season, you know, Trippier since game week one, there's another player that you wouldn't have needed to sell. You could have just had him sitting there all season. Then there's not been that kind of real need, I think, this year to take hits. And that perhaps explains why this season we're seeing, you know, many, many more kind of cautious managers as in they're just kind of sitting with their teams. They're happy, they're comfortable. They don't need to make changes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the whole the whole player factor really plays into it as well and what to to a point you mentioned earlier um i didn't i didn't mean uh, that there's been no chaos this season obviously there's been a lot of chaos it's more about the fact i feel like the chaos has been almost orchestrated to a point where anything got pushed down the road far enough that we could actually plan so we knew the world cup was coming obviously and then we got the wild card to help sort our teams out from there so we could plan around that a bit and as shocking as the Queen's passing was, the postponements affected everyone. And then the doubles were planned out, mapped out months in advance still. So we were still able to manoeuvre our sides over quite a few game weeks rather than last season. I think there were games that just dropped like flies hours before or even minutes before the deadline. And everyone was just wildly taking hits at any given moment five, 10 minutes before the deadline, just because you didn't know whether a game was even going ahead. So to that extent, it's calmed down a little bit, but I completely agree. I'd love to see um, a normal, in, in quotes, uh, FPL season next season and get back to get back to our regular standard viewing for a little bit. I think, yeah, as FPL managers, we love the drama, really. <laughs> you know, all, all the chaos and confusion it brings adds mm. an additional element to the game for sure 
But yeah, it, it can add a bit of randomness as well, which isn't always best when you're you're trying to um, you know beat the odds, I suppose. But um, cool. Now that's good discussion. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll crack on and and talk about the different risk models. So I think to start off, um, we're going to talk about the managers that have taken naught to four hits. So we refer to these managers as cautious risk takers. So these are kind of FPL managers that perhaps approach the game very patiently with their moves. They might hold on to wild cards a bit later. They might kind of have that relatively template team, the key assets, you know, Captain Harland week in, week out, just solid picks at the back. Um, no need to change the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper's final season. And, and in, in kind of real life, it's these are kind of people, perhaps investors, who maybe just keep their money safely tucked away in their current account or in an interest savings account, just earning a little bit of money here and there, or maybe a cash ISA, just no risks, no frills, no frills approach to um, to life and, um, and to FPO as well. And it, yeah, it works out for a lot of these managers as well, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got a couple of case studies that we've taken from Twitter and from uh, a couple of good sources of ours as well. So we'll start with Tom, who I think you'll all be very aware of. Um, He's only taken two hits this season, which I can't believe, but he's taken what appears to be quite a different uh, perspective on FPL this season, really tried to save the hits where possible and, and seen it as a four point handicap each week. So I think it is working out relatively well for him, I think he would say. I think he's up in the top 5K or there or thereabouts at the moment. So it seems for him that hitless approach is paying dividends. And obviously the way he's been looking at it on the show all season was talking about how it's equivalent to a forwards goal or an extra defensive clean sheet. So when you put it in those terms it is really quite valuable each four point hit you take and trying to regain that off of one or two transfers is quite a tricky thing to do without the the help of a double game week, which uh, FPL Sports Science, Sam uh, from Inspected Goals, uh, also makes a good point on that he also has been taking very few. He falls into this category of very few hits. And generally, and I, I know this from his appearances on Inspector Goals as well, he tends he tends to talk about them as massively overrated in a single game week where it's quite hard to pay them back off of one fixture. But then also they're underrated in his view from double game weeks as well. So he finds it much easier to pay back when the players you're bringing in have two opportunities to regain that extra goal or that extra clean sheet. So very interesting points of view. I know Tom in the past has been a lot more hit happy and has taken this new perspective this season. And it really seems to be paying dividends. Um, Interested to hear your thoughts on that, Nick. Yeah, I think, as I said, this is something that like it's surprising to see that Tom's been doing because he's usually the guy who's kind of falls into that kind of aggressive risk-taker strategy, taking lots of hits, taking lots of punts here and there. But I think this season, he's actually, you know, he's done so much better this season. I mean, obviously, since we started doing the pod, he's, I've been the one who's done well and he's the one who struggled. So definitely <laughs> issues on the other foot this season. He's done excellently well and he's he's kind of, gone for that cautious strategy I suppose just kind of like looked at his team week in week out and thought actually I don't need to take too many risks I've got the right players um, I'm happy with with who I have and you know when you kind of look at it that way as well so for instance if you're changing when you're forwards do you see that the player you're selling 
like since it's Watkins or something, is he is is Ivan Tony says Ivan Tony you're replacing with? Is he actually going to outscore him by a, a whole goal? It, it, the odds aren't in your favour in that case. Like it's it's mm. very you're very much playing against um you're playing against the bookies when you try and say actually my I'm convinced that my player will actually score more than one goal than the other player like. You know, so that that is the kind of the gamble you have to take with it here. You're kind of playing against the odds each time, and uh, and I think that makes sense as well in terms of the clean sheets as well as the other example from the defenders. It is it is a risk to take hits, and you you, you really are kind of chasing against the pack when you do it. So I understand why you know a lot of managers kind of avoid this kind of hit strategy and actually say, is it really worth it? No, I don't see the value. I don't see. Um, don't see it worth it and especially if you're doing well as well and that's what I've noticed as well some of the guys at the top you'll see it's every year actually those sort of guys right at the top have taken very few hits so I can see like for instance the number one in the world right now um, Ivan Kampko he's only taken one hit all the way to game week 24 he's taken a few since then actually but I think to go all the way to game week 24 with just the one hit was very impressive and same for the person in second place Mishari S has just taken two hits all season so um, you know, I think, you know, obviously this season as well, as I was alluded to earlier with the players that kind of are performing, there's not been that real need to take the hits. You haven't really needed to kind of tear your team apart to get Mo Salah in or tear your team apart to get Kevin De Bruyne in or whoever it is. There's been solid picks like Haaland and Kane. You just set and forget and, and stick with them all season and, and you do very well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in the past as well, in previous seasons, injuries have really played a big part in 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 why we start taking hits all of a sudden. And this season, even when an injury is st- struck at some point, especially in the first half of the season, most of us had the likes of Andreas Pereira on the bench, who we were more than happy to play and avoid taking the hit because the odds were against beating Andreas Pereira by four points in any given week. Whereas the second half of the season, the doubles have started coming in. I think think uh, the odds were slightly against him in that case. But um, yeah, it's really interesting to see how, how well the minimal hits are, are doing this season in particular. A couple of other examples out there as well. Mitchell Sterling and uh, Guerre as well all fall into that category. And uh, I believe they're all doing really well as well. So congratulations to all of you. And hopefully your minimal hit strategy keeps paying off. Yeah, well done, guys. As I I keep saying, all very jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, yeah, there's a next category uh, to talk about here is kind of the moderate risk taker, actually. And this is where we both fall into. So these are managers that have taken sort of five to eight hits over the course of the season. That's about 20 to 32 points burned over the course of the season so these these are kind of managers that are more willing to take a gamble they're not as cautious as some of the managers we uh, talked about just now they do take a risk here and there you know so comparison with real life would be perhaps people that have sort of money locked away they're going to do a bit of investing you know a bit of experimentation with the open market um but you know not not too risky in terms of their investment strategy they might go for kind of FTSE 100 tracker mutual funds or maybe share investments here and there, but don't don't go too wild with all, all their cash and kind of just start throwing it on the open market. Like so some of the risk takers we might refer to a little bit later on in the pod. But yeah, um, as I said, few of us fall into this category. Um, I've taken seven hits myself this season. 
And there has been that requirement, I think, in my team to kind of do a little bit of surgery, especially having not used my second wild card. And, it, and it's not it's not really paid off. I actually think um, I could have taken more hits and been more successful or taken more risks. And there's been times where I haven't taken a, haven't taken a hit and I regretted it and, and missed opportunities to get on certain players. Um, examples might be for me personally, would be Toma at Brighton. I feel like I missed a lot of points from him and also um, Almiron earlier on in the season. So I think when you are chasing in the game, and I've been chasing a little bit, there is, you should be, you know, there is that appetite perhaps to take a little bit more risk and, you know, not just sitting on the fence a little bit can can be the wrong strategy. And I think I've learned a few lessons from that as well this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for the the kind of the nothing to lose part of the game this is a free game at the end of the day and if you're chasing rank and you're not happy with it but at the same time you wouldn't mind so much if you ended up even further down the leaderboard than you are now then a hit in theory is probably a, a no risk call because you don't really have anything to lose in the first place so chasing those those punts and we'll come into that a little bit later on with the higher risk strategies as well. But I can certainly see in cases where you're chasing rank or chasing a mini league leader, for instance, going into the back few weeks, which I'm sure a lot of us will be doing in the next six to seven game weeks, hits will become a tool in our armory to try and and twist a little bit and try and gain an advantage. So yeah, his, hits are definitely not this uh, evil thing that we need to avoid doing. They they have a use in the game. And when you're chasing rank, like, like you mentioned yourself, they can certainly be of use. Um, I'm at five hits this season. So I, I've also tried to implement a bit of a strategy like our co-host Tom as well, not as successfully as him. And I think my planning has gotten the best of best of me sometimes i've almost overthought things and tried to get ahead of the game slightly too much and ended up having to fix fires elsewhere um but five hits for me at this stage is relatively low i think most of them have either been chasing double game week players or one or two injuries in there as well um, we've also got another few examples from the community as well. So Farron Collins has taken five. They, again, usually have taken more by this stage of the season, but trying to be more patient, a bit like myself. And they've actually still got the wildcard bench boost and free hit left. So really interested to see how that strategy pays off. It's incredible that they've only been a, they've only had to take five hits and haven't used the second wildcard yet, considering all the doubles that have been a part of the game over the last few weeks that's very impressive so interested to keep track of that team and see how they uh, rise the ranks over the next few um johan savage as well six hits for themselves uh sees himself as risk averse same with jeremy six hits for them and most of them have come in the last uh four or six game weeks when there's been double game weeks as well so like i was mentioning earlier those double game weeks seem like an opportunity to twist a little bit, jump on some form players or jump on double game week players that you think could help you gain an advantage over others. Super stuff. Cool. Um, so we'll, we'll move on to sort of the aggressive risk takers. So as I said, these are managers that kind of take a lot more kind of gambles with, with their FPL team, a lot more risks. These kind of managers that kind of take nine to 14 hits in terms of this category as 36 to 56 points burned over the course of the season. So yeah, managers that 
likely to gamble on differentials, willing to take a lot more risks on players and just seeking that high reward all the time. So perhaps this might fall into kind of captain choices as well, less likely just to go with the auto captain Haaland and, and maybe take a few gambles with other players, even like like Salah or De Bruyne or Kane or whoever it is, um, you know, some of the Arsenal players and Rashford, etc. But just just not Haaland, anyone but Haaland, because that's, <laughs> that's boring. That's that's not that's not risk taking. Um, and yeah, less patience as well for these managers. So if they see a player in their team and they blanked maybe even two games a week, that means they're out. Get rid of them straight away. Look, move to the next player. And um, yeah, just don't stick with anyone that's not performing. And in real life, these are managers, perhaps you know, much more willing to kind of take bigger gambles in the stock markets and share markets. They might put punts on unknown smaller stocks. Might kind of go into kind of crypto and things like that as well. Just not, not sticking with the kind of the the normal boring markets and yeah, taking a lot more risks. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a few good examples from the community again. So Alan Kelly seems to feel a little bit jealous of those um, in the risk averse category. So they're on 13 hits so far this season, which is at the upper end of this scale. Um, and he seems a little bit jealous that one to four hits is the pole leader. Um, so maybe they were aiming to be more risk averse but weren't able to do so. Who knows, maybe injuries got in the way or maybe chasing rank also is a factor there. Um, FPL kudos as well. Nine currently, uh, a lot of them were minus eights actually. So I think six of them were three times minus eights. Again, I can only assume that that would probably be around doubles in the, the back end of the season so far. And uh, FPL Tickle as well, nine hits for them, um, including, um, and I quote, an infamous minus 12 for triple Liverpool. Uh, I think a lot of us understand where that came from a few weeks ago. Uh, I think I took my minus eight that week too. Um, so big hits were flying around then. And I think they brought in Tarkovsky as well, um, all of whom were then sold on the Game Week 26 wildcard for them. Again, I can heavily relate to a lot of those issues. Um, then a few other hits. So Bethany Morgan, 13 hits, fewer than previously. So it seems that she might have been in the extreme risk taker category before, which we're going to come on to. And trying to be a little bit more patient now and weigh them up individually. So will X player score four plus points on player Y that they're taking out and really try to weigh up that decision making process that we mentioned earlier based on that extra goal that you need, that extra clean sheet or assist that you might need. And uh, trying to bring that down a little bit. Um, uh, minus eight this week for them. To, de uh, to bring in Haaland or including Haaland captaincy. So the most recent one seems to have paid off. And I think when you've got a positive relationship with hits, like it seems Bethany has here, it's much more tempting to then almost double down the following week or roll that dice again, because you've got those good memories of hits that you've taken working out. And maybe you get that little bit of an adrenaline kick when something you've punted on goes your way. You've got those bragging rights in the pub. You've got the bragging rights around the water cooler at work. You've picked someone that no one else has got. And there, there is a lot to be said about that element of FPL that we all find probably the most exciting part of FPL picking that player that no one else has got. And I think when you fall into one of these more heavily weighted risk categories, that's when those kind of types of FPL managers come out a little bit more and, 
that kind of side of the game also plays into our thinking. And it's something that I definitely relate to and have related to in the past. Not so sure it correlates with a high rank season in, season out, but I certainly see the top end, like the first, the top 10 in any given FPL season tend not to have necessarily been there ever before. So taking hits and picking players that no one else has thought of, jumping on those waves before anyone else does can catapult you above the average good FPL manager. So I can certainly see why these kind of risk categories work out. Yeah, definitely. I think you've made made a good point there about when you have a successful hits strategy and it pays off for you, it does kind of lead you on to taking more hits. And I, I found as well in the past as well, like when I performed poorly after taking hits, it makes me very much hits averse. So mm-hmm. I think kind of your almost your success rate kind of evolves your strategy to a certain extent. So like if you have if you have a run of really good successful hits, you, you continue to take them and it's almost like you know, being down in the casino and you keep making money. When you're making money, you, you want to you want to gamble more and more and more. But if you're losing money, you kind of just you know, say that's it. You know, go home and and eventually, unfortunately, I think the casinos the you know the casino always wins, and that might be the case sometimes with some of these hits. But certainly, when you're on a run and it's working out for you, then I can understand the kind of the mindset there. But as I said earlier, you are you are going against the bookies, but. I think especially like with you know with the seasons in the past, sometimes when you've got these kind of scenarios where there's like there's blanks and doubles and stuff, that kind of throws a, a whole different element to the game as well and 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 can be a you know can be a winning strategy to take lots of gambles and, and lots of hits. And I can see that certainly with some of these managers here, um it feels like there's there's a bit of regret from some of them in terms of the amount <laughs> of hits they're taking, which is interesting. But others, um, you know, Ethne and et cetera, were kind of saying actually, you know they do see the, the value of taking the hits and have had a lot of success from them as well. So I certainly can see that it is a successful strategy. Whilst we look at the people at the top, some of them have taken very few hits. You can actually see a few out there that have taken lots of hits as well. So it's, it's we're not saying that taking no hits is, um, is the only strategy. I think there is definitely credence in kind of like the gambling strategy and taking some of those extreme risks as well, especially when you get a differential in that no one else has. So, for instance, Trent this week, as I said, under 1% ownership, mental kind of numbers. Mm. If you get someone like him in a hit and he actually gets one of his sort of famous sort of 18 pointers or something, that can really catapult you up the ranks. So there's there's definite there's definite benefits to the kind of the gambling and the differential strategy as well. And and ultimately, as you said, you know, when you want to play against them all, it does make the game a lot more exciting as well, because it can get very template and boring, boring otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. A little bit of raging against the machine sometimes never hurt anyone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. So, yeah, just kind of to move on to the final um, sort of category. And that's the extreme risk takers. So we've kind of been talking a little bit about extreme risk takers anyway in the last category. But these are managers that have taken 15 plus hits, uh, 60 plus points burns. That's, you know, that's, that's a lot of points when you start looking at in terms of like what rank you'd be if you'd have 60 plus points in your um, in your team. But but these are managers ultimately willing to gamble frequently, 
they've got they, they might have well this is the other advantage of taking lots of hits is they might have a very high transfer value due to sort of catching early price rises so that that's one benefit that can pay off as well later on in the season you can afford a more expensive team because you've been getting on those players ahead of the price rises and, and getting rid of your players before they fall and i think in in real life you know these are people who have sort of enough Nothing's off limits in terms of what they're going to invest in. It could be obscure cryptocurrencies, or, um, you know, hedge hedge their bets and take shorts and leverage positions just in an attempt to win big or, or be down the casino, as I said, kind of gambling their money away to, to try and make lots of money. Obviously, we're not saying that every extreme risk taker in FPL um, will actually be gambling their real life money. It's a very, very different scenario, but this is kind of just an example of what you know, extreme risk taker in real life might be up to. Um, yeah, there's um, there's a few case studies as well here. Um, just just a couple of people actually, isn't there? Yeah. So um, the two that we're highlighting now from the comments on the poll were General Zod with 15 hits. So that's 60 points of hits so far. Um, it he actually, or they say it's mostly been Kane and Salah shuffling, which is really interesting because we mentioned earlier on that and we haven't had such a premium struggle this season but when you think about it if we've got Haaland in anyway and you're trying to fit that second premium in if you find yourself at a little bit of a crossroads between Salah and Kane well every time you want to switch between the two that is that is two moves that's two transfers that you have to take in any given game week so if you've been shuffling them about more than a few times then the hits will start to build and yeah i can certainly see why the hits have climbed over the over the um the season so far if you're moving between the two quite a lot and i imagine that's probably going to continue happening uh between now and the end of the season because salah's got double game weeks to come kane's obviously still got a couple of good fixtures left before most of us will be moving off and that again will be two transfers once again ready and waiting to go and then uh the other example we've got is kai red one two three um takes a, a lot of hits probably 20 they think so that would be up at 80 points worth of hits so far this season um and they tend to look at it over a five fixture period which is really interesting because that is a good way of trying to figure out whether a hit would pay off so if you're taking a minus four hit one week the examples we've been using obviously are will they pay off an extra clean sheet or an extra goal in that week but actually most times we're looking at them over a stretch of five maybe even ten game weeks at a time sometimes to try and figure out is this player actually going to be more four points more valuable than the player i'm taking out over a stretch of games if I'm willing to keep them for that many games. So I think five fixtures is quite a good sample size to measure that over. Although one example for me earlier this season was probably removing Martinelli for Saka at some inanimate point in the season. And I think even without a hit, it hasn't paid off, let alone with a hit over five plus game weeks. So it doesn't always work out, but it is an interesting and quite a clever way of weighing up a hit if you're, playing it out over a longer period of time rather than just trusting it to pay back over one week. Although they do say, considering the fact there are um, 20 hits so far this season, they're at 400k so far. So it's not so bad. And it really does go to show that there are different ways of playing this game that can still be successful and you can still ride those waves with hits taken into account. 
Yeah, exactly. I think we've kind of come to that sort of conclusion, really, haven't we? That you know, there there, there are multiple ways to play the game. We're not saying any strategy is the worst strategy. I think you know there are a lot of values in taking hits, especially when you've got kind of these strange fixture schedules and we've got kind of players dropping in out in and out of form. And and it's not just about you are right. It's not just about the next game week. It's kind of looking ahead as well fixture shifts etc I mean I, I never condone a hit for um, for a sideways move and <laughs> sort of like Arsenal Saka to Martinelli I know there was a lot of kind of who who's going to start with Trossard joining the club and and a lot of people as well were convinced that Inketia in would would be nailed in that number nine position at least until Jesus was um Jesus was back so kind of a lot of controversy there and to uh, I'm probably one of the only people that seem to keep Martinelli, perhaps just because I wasn't properly focused on what what everyone else was talking about. It paid it paid off for me in the in the long run. But yeah, no, really interesting strategy from some of those guys. I think the Kane and Salah shuffling point is a good one as well. Something I'm actually weighing up myself whether I'm going to have to take another hit um, just to get uh, Salah in for the, for the 32 uh, game week. And um, yeah, I think. Mean, you know, whilst we probably all kept Haaland, I think Kane has been in and out of our teams a little bit, a little bit more, maybe. And Mo Salah, certainly we've all kind of flirted with him a little bit this season, perhaps not kept him in for very much longer. And it, it would have been interesting, actually, say Salah was having another one of his sort of worldly seasons where he looks set to kind of get, you know, close to 300 points again in terms of FPL score. Um, maybe maybe the hit number would have been a lot, lot higher if we had to all have Salah all season, we had to all have Haaland all season, then we were trying to fit in Kane however desperately we could. I, You know, I think perhaps we'd be looking at like a completely different poll there if the Liverpool players had delivered to their potential whilst we've been quite lucky this season that a lot of the campaign we've been tripled up with Arsenal and they've all been extremely affordable and and FPL Towers made the crazy decision of dropping Rashford for three million <laughs> compared <laughs> to last season, it was nine point five million, and he, he was extremely affordable. I think next season should be very interesting, actually, in that regard. Because I was thinking about well, what the price of Saka will be. Surely he's got to be double figures. Rashford, mm. surely he's got to be double figures. We're going to start having this scenario again. Where we were like, how do we get these guys in? And and then you kind of get these managers that are looking at their teams as well, and they're like. Get itchy, itchy trigger feet if if um, Saka doesn't score one week and Rashford does score the next, and you know I think next season we'll, we'll definitely kind of perhaps perhaps we'll see a trend back to to more hits or maybe we won't. Uh, if it, if it is a normal season, as we say, <laughs> and then there's no <laughs> no more crazy suspensions uh, and postponements and, and everything that kind of we've seen this season and, and the past few. Um, yeah, definitely going to be interesting to to continue to monitor over the course of next season. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, a normal, unquote, season. But what is normal anymore? I think we're all used to double game weeks and blanks every other week now anyway. So maybe that's the new normal that we were all hearing so much about all those years ago when COVID hit. Yeah, the, the new normal of lots of lots of hits <laughs> in FPL. <laughs> uh, that's how we were impacted anyway in, in real life. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I hope everyone found that interesting. Um, we're going to wrap up now, I think, with um, some 
quick fire just got a few questions uh, to answer and, and then we'll move on to uh, captains and transfers as well to, to finish up the pod so um so the first question actually is from uh, Jeff Pedder who's asked us for Rashford replacements that aren't Jack Grealish so so what are your thoughts there interesting yeah I mean we've got a fairly strict pool of players to pick from now because of the double game weeks to come and a lot of us are on quite set strategies with free hits and 32 for example so there's only five or six teams that we're really looking at at the moment but if you're willing to look outside the box a little bit more um, and it's incredible to say that this is looking outside the box but most of us won't be looking at bringing an, another Arsenal midfielder back in because they don't have another double to come and we're all free hitting in 32 anyway however Martinelli or if you've already got Martinelli the likes of Erdegaard or Saka are all performing extremely well week in week out and despite the fact they don't have double game weeks they're still the ones picking up the double digit hauls most weeks so I wouldn't mind going back to another Arsenal midfielder if you could get to it or if you are at the moment not too worried about missing out on an extra double game week player in 34. Um, Outside of that if you really want to look at something very differential than Elise, obviously at Crystal Palace, hat-trick of assists last week. And there is an element of the players just done the points, so look at this guy. But Roy does seem to be getting them to play some more expansive football. They've got some great fixtures between now and the end of the season as well. So if you want to chase rank a little bit with a bit of uh, a differential punt, then maybe Elise could be an answer out there you can also look at other man city mids too so the likes of gundogan as well could be of interest or of course if you've got the budget to or or have uh, a route to get rid of rashford and then move up to the likes of salah which is something i'm looking at over the next few weeks as well even for a minus four this week that could be an interesting route to take. The one thing I would say about Rashford is at the moment, we don't really have that much information on how long he's going to be out for. And if you're one of the managers like myself, free hitting in game week 32, we only really need to worry about him in two weeks. And that's in 31 and 33. As long as he's back by 34, we'll all be very happy to still own him by then. So it's, can you bench him for those two weeks and then just sacrifice. If you've got a second Brighton mid that sat on the bench for this week against Chelsea, I'd probably be fairly comfortable playing them instead and just leaving Rashford on the bench. And then after game week 32 as well, I think they go up against Tottenham. So if he's injured for that still, is it the worst thing in the world to just bench him again? Have you, A lot of us have just bench boosted, so have strong 15s. Can you afford to keep him on your bench for a couple of weeks and then have him back if he's going to be fit by game week 34 and we get that information? I don't know. I mean, that could be an option that I'm looking at, but it depends what sort of news we get from Ten Hag midweek ahead of the Europa League clash. If he's out for the season, then we're going to have to move and... Personally, from my point of view, I would be very tempted to try and free up funds elsewhere to get Salah in early. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there, actually. I think it's, it's come at an inopportune moment, really, because he, he's got kind of, especially if you're free hitting in 32, he's got an excellent run of this sort of Everton at home. Well, obviously, they've just played Everton at home. They've got Forest um, away and then Spurs and then that really nice double of 
Aston Villa um, and Brighton. And yeah, I did actually look at that. I thought, well, any alternatives at Manchester United? And I wasn't sure really with Bruno. I look, it's a, kind of the same price as Anthony and um, Sancho, but they would, you know, that's, that's really kind of gambling at this point, isn't it? I mean, Sancho's just managed to four goals. And Anthony, I think he's not scored since game week 10 in the Premier League, which is pretty, mm. pretty shocking. So I wasn't really sure about those guys, to be honest. I think you can look at some of the other city assets. As you said, you mentioned Gundogan. Um, Bowden's out at the moment. Maybe Mares is sort of another alternative pick. But, you know, there is that kind of worry constantly about the, the minutes there as well. Um, and then, yeah, Liverpool, as you said, if you can kind of afford Salah or kind of make some changes to get the money to get Salah in, obviously he would be like the perfect person to, to kind of fit in. But other options in midfield, the only other option, I suppose, would be Gakpo. But I think there's rotation risk there as well. Mm-hmm. So perhaps, and Diaz is back for this weekend, apparently. Oh yeah, exactly, Diaz as well. So you've got Diaz, you've got Jota, Darwin, Gagpo, all kind of competing for, for two slots ultimately in that team, and and Bobby Firmino actually as well. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. really really tight for for spaces in that in that starting eleven. Um, so perhaps not really a good pick so it's, it's, it's a tough one because we're trying to like come up with a good answer here and it's, it's like really really struggling to come up with one and I think you, you made a good point about the Arsenal players of course you know doesn't really work for the guys that are going to free hit in 32 because you want to be looking at the, the teams that are doubling in, in 34 that you know Arsenal if, you, if you're not free hitting in 32 brilliant to get an Arsenal player in because they've got a really nice home match against uh, Southampton in, in that week so kind of really works in terms of tripling up getting back on Martinelli getting back on Odegaard um, so kind of from my own strategy I've been I'm already tripled up in Arsenal but I was also looking at Crystal Palace because they've also got quite a nice home match against Everton and uh, yeah Elise um, is is the one to perhaps uh, look at there I had so when I watched that game so I was actually watching that game with an eye on the Crystal Palace assets thinking oh, maybe I'll get one of these guys in and see how they do I watched mm. the first four I watched the first 40 minutes of the game and I thought that they had, I was like I'm no chance of getting any of these players in they're, they're absolutely rubbish Leeds are like <laughs> all over them I actually ended up not watching the rest of the game. I switched it off. So I had stuff to get on with. And then looked at the final score. I was like, what, what, what happened here? It ended up being 5-1. So I was like, when I turned it off, it was just all leads. Leads were on the attack constantly. Like Sam Johnston keep, kept uh, Palace in the game. And uh, yeah, I was just a bit shocked to kind of see that they'd managed five in the, or four in the second half, five in total. Uh, it'd be pretty crazy that. Um, but yeah, I think at least it would be an interesting interesting punt there but otherwise yeah in terms of the Rashford replacements you can go very cheap you can look at Brighton or Newcastle assets or you can just um, yeah hang on to him and hope that he's fit for that double game week in, in 34 and maybe play one of your cheaper defenders um, yeah well as you said work towards that sort of Salah strategy and that kind of leans us on I think quite well to to the next question actually which is about Liverpool and that's from James Carroll, who said, is, is Salah or are any of the Liverpool assets, for that matter, worth ripping up our teams for? Yeah, so as I mentioned just now, there there is a strategy that could open up for me that would be a minus four to get to Salah early. I think I've kind of driven myself down a route that would mean that I'm going to get Salah in game week 34, almost whatever happens, barring any injuries. 
I'm pretty convinced that he is a player that I will want by game week 34. And they've got great fixtures either side of that as well. So I'm very happy to move towards Salah quickly. Um, It's whether or not Rashford is out all the way past game week 34 and we get confirmation of that this week that would would make the difference between me diving on him now or trying to have two free transfers in the bank ahead of game week 34 and then move, moving towards him then. I, I wouldn't say he's worth ripping up your team for now. I think it's one of those moves that can probably wait until we get to the double or very close to the double at least and then we can assess the lay of the land. I think realistically... I realise most people haven't done what I've done and got rid of Kane yet, and probably rightfully so. He's got Bournemouth at home, probably a very good hold for right now. Um, And if you've got Kane at the moment, he's probably your cash cow that would enable Salah eventually. You don't want to be getting rid of Kane ahead of Bournemouth at home. So I would say the answer to this question for the immediate term is probably no, it's not worth ripping up your team to get to Salah or any Liverpool player right now but definitely have an eye on them after that game week 32 free hit for any of you who are free hitting and anyone who's not free hitting in game week 32, then getting on them slightly earlier, perhaps even this week might be an option. Certainly by game week 32, you want to be looking at Salah if you're not on a free hit, I would say. Yeah, exactly. I think it, does depend a little bit on your chip strategy. I think Liverpool actually are in a very unique position of having a game week 32 game and they've got a double in 34. So if you have no chips at all, you've used them all, then it kind of makes sense actually to to target Liverpool because you've, you've got coverage for your 32 and you've also got coverage for the double in 34. So it kind of makes sense in terms of a strategy there. I think, you know, you're, you're right in terms of Salah and ripping up your team. You don't want to rip your team up. You know, he's, um, they kind of lost a bit of their pizzazz this year, haven't they, Liverpool? And, and Salah's even lost the ability to convert penalties now. And you wonder if he's going to be taken off him. I mean, that penalty was terrible, the, mm. the one against them. Um, Arsenal. Um, so I don't think there's kind of enough of a case to kind of really start making intensive surgery. But saying that, I think there will start to be a bit of FOMO, um, especially when you start seeing everyone with their free hits um, on in 32 whip him in, because presumably everyone's going to have him in for 32 free hit. It kind of makes logical sense for that home match against Forest and the City Bank. Um, and then game week 34 as well. It'll be interesting, but I imagine a lot of people start to want to get him in for that double game week as well and, and find a way to slot him in. And I'm sure it's going to be possible, especially with the likes of Kane probably being um, an obvious ball guy in terms of freeing up cash for, for most managers. So I can see I can see in 32, 34, most managers will have him in there. And, and in terms of my own sort of strategy, that's that's what I'm worried about. I'm I'm going to be wildcarding in 33 and I'll probably be getting him in for that double game week um, and bench boost. But it's just about how I get him in, in in 32. And I think there are there are a few options there in terms of freeing up the cash, but um, it actually involves selling Haaland uh, for me. So it's just about kind of doing that move then and then obviously having the wild cards to to fund it um, and get Harlan back in, in 33. So um, mm. I, I think I think most managers are going to be looking to try and get him in for 32, but you just have to kind of assess, assess it a little bit. Just assess it 
cleverly in terms of your own chip strategy, how that's going to work, but don't don't take too many risks. I think in, the, in terms of rest of Liverpool assets, ripping up your teams again. With, with Trent, I happen to have him, unlike most managers, and I'm probably going to hang on to him uh, as well, just because he's, he's quite an interesting differential, I think, for the next couple. But you know, they've been massively overpriced this season, um, considering what they've actually delivered. Um, and I don't think they've really shown the form um, that it's worth considering them. I think Van Dyke seems very much off the pace. Um, Robertson spending too much time arguing with linesmen to concentrate on his football, as Roy Keane says. And uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much of a case for any of the other Liverpool players, really. And we, we talked a little bit about we mentioned I mentioned Gakko earlier, but the rotation with Firmino and Jota and Darwin and Diaz all fitting into two slots there is going to be a bit tricky for managers to really consider. And none, none of those players have really shown the, the proper form over the course of this season either. So um, I think it, I think it really is kind of more of a salary or bust, I think, um, in the short term. But obviously, I think for free managers on free hits, they're probably loading up on, on the players in, in 32. So that that's just your risk, whether you're willing to accept that if you don't have your free hit on 32. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think outside of Salah, there's just no trust there for the rest of the the other two of the front three. I'm quite glad, actually, as well, because I was worried Darwin would be more of an option that he, than he probably will be. And now with so much rotation threat in there, I don't think many people are going to risk going for him. So I'm quite, quite thankful for that. I can avoid Dar- the Darwin problem altogether. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's he's completely off um, off the case, I think, at the moment, isn't he? Um, mm. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. Um, so yeah, we've got another question here from Jeremy, and this is about. Um, he said he's a uh, got a similar chip strategy to me in terms of he still has his wild cards, he's still got his bench boost, and he's got his free hit left. Um, so what should he do to sort of forge ahead of the masses? Hmm. Well, I, I think you mentioned earlier uh, your wildcard plan is 33. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense if you've got a bench boost as well. Of uh, You will front load the bench boost into 34. Um, obviously, plenty of good doubles there. I know a, a lot of the stronger teams play, but you can probably still fill out a really decent bench boost in, in 34 with some budget players as well, even if not all of them necessarily double. And then free hit as well is really interesting one. I think there's another relatively okay double coming in 37 that you could put the free hit on there. And obviously with only one week to go in the season, then you can kind of have a big last hurrah, having a look at what the template is at that time. If you want to chase rank, you can just zig when everyone else is zagging and like I said earlier, it's not really losing anything if you're already chasing the rank and you don't mind falling further. So you can just jump on every player that no one else has got at that point and try and regain some rank there. Or obviously you could free hit in game week 32 if you like. But I, I think if you've already got the wild card left, you can probably avoid the free hit in 32 and dead end that week and then wild card out of whatever issues you get yourself into after game week 32 and then use those three chips in the back few double game weeks and uh, see if you can regain some rank there because at the end of the day the double game weeks are the ones with the most variance the most potential for big points 
So if you really want to forge ahead of the masses in the last few weeks, going differential or or trying to get an advantage on people would be better off in, in those big weeks. Yeah, it makes sense. I think I don't have my free hit actually. So I'm, I'm, I am planning on dead ending into 32 and then the wild card in 33 seems the optimum strategy to kind of fill it up with as many double game weekers as possible for 34 to use my bench boost and, and hopefully start to gain a bit of overall rank back. So I think you can get your triple City very easily, your, maybe even your triple Manchester United, triple Liverpool, uh, Brighton have a, a reasonable double as well. So you might even triple up with them. And and, and then you've just got um, West Ham and Fulham are the only other teams with doubles and they're okay doubles. But, I mean, Fulham's double is pretty terrible, actually. So you, probably, you might not even bother with it. Any double game week is there, maybe a goalkeeper if you really fancy the gamble. But um, other than that, you can get you can get a pretty solid bench boost team um, for thirty four with you know maybe twelve or so double game weekers and and yeah that that's interesting actually in terms of what you said about if you do have your free hit not to bother free hitting in thirty two it depends on your setup ultimately but if you can field eleven men and you're comfortable with those eleven men for thirty two then it might not be worth free hitting but instead um focus on maybe using your free hit for one of those final double game weeks game week 37 might be one in 36 i don't know this pictures haven't been officially announced but um you know likes newcastle still have a double as well and brighton looks like they've got loads of doubles so, so brighton seems to be a team that you want to triple up on um at the end of the season to kind of go through it and um you know i've actually got a triple captain as well so i'll be using my triple captain in one of those double game weekers right at the end of the season and and hoping it gives me a, a cheeky little boost just to kind of end the season on something of a high note but i think <clears throat> at this stage of the season you just have to be careful to make sure you do come up with that chip strategy plan because of you don't, you don't want to get to kind of another couple of game weeks and, and not actually have planned it out and find that you end up wasting the chip. So definitely, definitely the right moment now to make sure your kind of plan is in proper motion for the for the end of the season and you, you stick to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think with so few game weeks left now and the doubles are pretty much mapped out as well as the blanks, you now is the time to sit down and, and plan out that chip strategy if you if you haven't already, which I'm sure most of you listen to listening to the show are engaged FPL managers. You you probably have a, a decent idea of where you want to go. Um, but if you haven't already, then uh, sit down, pen and paper this week and, and map it out for the weeks to come. Uh, it's one of my favourite parts of the season, mapping those things out. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, good fun. So enjoy if you haven't already. Good stuff. Um, and the final question to wrap us up is um, from FPL Goop. So he's asked us, how do I get out of an overall rank rut? So between game week 22 to 30, he's pivoted between 479k to 477k, with highs of 378k and lows of 387k, uh, 587k. So, yeah, he's it's, it's basically not really changed his rank at all in those sort of eight game weeks you know, very little rank movement. What What do you think about this? How, how do you kind of get, get out that rut? Yeah, it's a difficult one. And it's something I've struggled with this season as well. I mentioned at the top of the show, probably since like game week seven or eight, I was kind of hovering between the 200 to 100K mark. I 
it's one step forward, two steps back, then two steps forward, one step back all season. And I didn't really know what I was doing right or wrong. I, I wasn't really going anywhere. There was a couple of really good weeks, a couple of really bad weeks, and, and it would just sort of hover. And I think the the best way I can summarise this from my point of view is just keep playing the game the way that you genuinely believe is going to get you the most points week in, week out, whether or not it's differential or still very template, play the game that you think is going to get you the most points each week. And from that, it might be for a while quite frustrating and you might end up hovering for a while and it might feel like you're kind of in quicksand. But eventually, if you keep making those right decisions, the the results will pay dividends and you'll get out of that rut. I think sometimes, in myself included, you get in that bit of a rut, you get a bit bored and you might pick a differential captain that you don't really believe is going to be the best captain that week. Or you might take a hit that really in, in, in your heart, you don't think is going to actually pay off. You're just doing it to live a little and to be a bit different and to try and get out and, and force something out of the rut. But realistically, the only thing we should be doing at any given moment, maybe barring the last couple of game weeks is trying to maximise our points each week. Uh, and overall, that is a strategy that will get you to rise out of that rut eventually, in my view. Obviously, with the asterisks, uh, if you've got one or two weeks to go and you need to, you kind of need to get on with it, you need you need to do it now or never, then maybe a differential pick is then the way to go to, to try and risk it all. But in my view, play the game your way, that you genuinely believe is going to make the, the most points and maximize those points each week. And eventually you will naturally get out of that rut as frustrating as it, as it is for the time you're in it, which um, it really can be quite annoying, quite boring, but you will get out of it eventually in my view. Yeah, I think that's sound advice. Ultimately, you know, we we could say you could say start taking more risks, go for more differential captains, take more gambles. But you know, I don't think necessarily, as we kind of alluded to throughout the whole podcast, that's not always going to pay off for you. And I think it is very frustrating to kind of stay stationary in terms of the game week ranks, yo-yoing about too much progress, kind of going up and down. We've we've certainly all been there before. But I think it's just one of those seasons where there have been a few obvious picks that we've all kind of had in our teams. And and that has meant that, you know, progress, unless you had a great start, kind of getting back into the sort of the top 100k um, for most managers, it's been very, very painful, very slow progress. And yeah, you know, I think there are options out there. You can you can go against the grain. You can not captain Harland, for instance, and maybe opt for a differential captain Salah or captain KDB or whatever. And and I've done a bit of that myself this season, as I said, you know, um, earlier on in the pod when I said that captain Salah, um, that game week where he missed a penalty, if if he, if he actually scored that penalty, it would have been a massive swing in terms of eighteen points. And 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 those kind of those kind of split decisions really can sting you, but. But when, you know, everyone else has a, a different captain and you, you're essentially going against everyone else, the, the swings are, are much more much more larger. And, and I think certainly this season, especially when it comes to the captaincy, kind of going against Harland has, has been heartbreak for any manager that's even attempted it. So I think you have to kind of, um, I think 
you made some really good points to Sam about just kind of like sticking with what you think is going to score you the most points week in, week out. Focus on your game. Just don't worry about what's going on in other managers, but just focus on what you think is going to be best for your team. And eventually you will see some form of progress in game. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Super stuff. So, yeah, um, wrapping up there, then I guess with our captains and transfers. So, so for me, as I said, it's, hard. it's got to be Haaland captain. I'm, I'm just. I'm not going to mess around with it. It's, it's Leicester at home, you know. There are other. There are other picks. So you could fancy Kane against Bournemouth at home. I'm sure he'll um, he'll probably score in that one. Um, and Manchester United at Forest, but with Rashford out, not really a pick there, is there? And an Arsenal, you could go for an Arsenal player, maybe West Ham away, Saka or Martinelli. I don't know. Is this? Is <clears throat> excuse me it's one obvious pick for me it's it's Haaland and I think we're going to see ridiculous numbers again in terms of the effective ownership I think we got a bit lucky this um, this game with those who captained him because the effective ownership was nice and low for a change <laughs> so um, it was only about 125% or something so I think um, this season is going to be um, this game week is very much going to be back to the oh he's a captain he scored but it's done nothing to your to your overall rank unfortunately but um, in terms of the transfers, alluded to this a little bit earlier. There's a couple of options here. One is downgrading Rashford to the likes of Elise, maybe um, getting him in for the Southampton game, Everton, and then to wild card in 33. Um, but the other option actually would be to just roll and just bench Rashford and play Andreas and kind of go for a hit the strategy there, where I have a two two free transfers to sell Rashford and Haaland. Um, and getting Salah and someone like Solanke or someone just um, to fill up the numbers, um, and therefore avoid kind of a hit. Because I could, I could still do that the following week anyway. If I did sort of Rashford to Elysian and then Madison, Madison to um, Salah and um, Harlan to Solanke, so I could do that but again. But that would require me taking a hit, and I just don't know if I'm, I don't know if like it's worth it for just this week. And you kind of going back to our earlier point, it's like, do I see Elise outscoring Pereira by four points, which would be the the gamble I'd have to take? I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced enough that I'm not convinced enough, despite his hat trick of assists, that Elise can do that. So uh, we shall see if I'm wrong or not. Um, and hope that uh, Pereira does well against Everton away. So that's not too bad a picture either. Yeah, Pereira Everton away is not a bad game at all. Everton, I think, shipped three or four XG away at United. So Fulham can certainly carve out chances still. And Pereira is as likely as anyone, I guess, to to bury something for Fulham right now with Mitro out. So yeah, I, I think keeping Pereira wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And so what's your uh, what's your plan then for your captains and your transfers? Yeah, I'm similar to you in terms of the captaincy. Unless something really weird happens in midweek with Haaland, um, it will be on him. I think even if he only got 60 minutes against Leicester, that is more than enough for him to do some pretty severe damage to that back line. And we could be looking at two or three goals again. Um, the ownership will be extremely high. So going back to a couple of the points earlier, like can you differentiate and, and try and gain rank that way. I'd say this is probably not the week to be betting against Haaland at home to Leicester. I think he is 
the clear standout pick even on reduced minutes um there are other interesting options out there but i think they're all kind of dwarfed by harlan's brilliance at the moment so i wouldn't be brave enough to go against that um my transfers um, I do need to make a move this week um, because I'm free hitting in 32 and I don't want to bait, effectively burn a transfer this week. I, I want to move towards a situation where I come out of 32 in a better position, closer to the team I want to get to for 34. But I've got Rashford to potentially think about. Luke Shaw, we might get some news on. I'm hoping and banking on the fact he'll be back by game week 34. But if we get news that either of them are out for a significant amount of time that leaves them unlikely to make that double game week, then I will probably have to move them out now. Um, Likewise, I've got Chilwell, who I'm a little bit concerned about, and he's a bit of a cash cow now for me. I could downgrade him. Or... If Rashford is confirmed out for a while, as I hinted at earlier in the pod, I could potentially look at downgrading Tony to Greenwood at 4.0 and upgrading Rashford immediately to Salah and getting him in whilst his effective ownership is still low um, and hoping that he hauls for me in the meantime before we get to game week 34. And then perhaps Rashford becomes fit by game week 34 and I can bring him in for the likes of Saka then instead. So it's kind of reversing the moves I would have naturally made anyway. But yeah, I think I'm going to have to wait for team news midweek. We'll get a good sense of the Man United players fitness because they've got Europa League on Thursday. So hopefully we get a headline from Rashford or Shaw. But until then, um, it's all very much up in the air, unfortunately. I think if I was to bet on anything right now, it would probably be removing Chilwell and downgrading that position slightly to either burning the spot with a, a 4.0 or sub 4.0 defender or perhaps having a look around at a, a Crystal Palace defender. Aston Villa, obviously, Mings is performing well, but I don't know if I trust them to continue keeping clean sheets. So, yeah, I need I need to do some thinking and I'm hoping Team News will uh, clear up my mindset going into Saturday's deadline. Sounds good. Still early days, isn't it, in terms of those decisions? Always quite tricky to kind of go on the pod and say, this is what I'm going to do on, on a Monday when you've got mm. kind of five, four or five days still to still to go. No, that was brilliant, Sam. Man. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, um, as, as always. And it was a great uh, pleasure to actually get to talk to you for the first time as well. So thanks very much for having me. Um, as always, we were who got the assist uh you can find the who got the assist twitter account and tom's personal twitter account at wgta underscore fpl you can find myself sam at fpl pricey and you can find nick at wgta underscore nick and lucy hynett at lucy hynett with two t's brilliant yeah thanks all thanks everyone for listening we'll be back uh, next week potentially back to the normal service in terms of the the regular co-host but uh, that will be confirmed in due course but in the meantime we hope this has assisted you cheers guys oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist sports social podcast network